Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. I've had a very thought-provoking week. I think coming to the end of the year does that to most people. I started thinking about my New Year resolutions for this year and saying, well, did I do any of those things? And I'm trying to see whether I can rush to do them before 2022. Maybe you've got things more under control than I do, but I really started thinking. Joining us today is author David Callow, who will be discussing his third published book, Jumbi in Town. Here he explores his childhood adventures in search of characters from the rich amalgamation of Trinidad and Tobago folklore. He'll be sharing with us folk stories from his childhood that inspired more excitement than fear, and he talks about the often misunderstood environment that he grew up in. It's really interesting. You must hang on in there with us. And of course, we have David's chosen metaphor for you. It is, if it's meant for you, it won't pass by. Or as he says it, Trinidad style, and please try to ignore the British accent. What a monsieur et a passia. I bet you didn't know that the original phrase was of Scottish origin and much harder to pronounce and I'm definitely not going to try to say it. Since the dawn of time, humanity has pondered on forces beyond the naked eye. Whether it's gods, destiny, or a certain something you just can't put your finger on, many people believe that life is a predetermined path, the stones of which have already been laid by a higher power. Today's metaphor comes from a Scottish saying that has come to mean, what's meant for you won't pass you by, relating to this well-known concept of fate. Fate? as we know it today, is a development of events that are out of an individual's control, regarded as predetermined by a supernatural force. The origin of the word goes as far back as Latin from the word fari, which means speak, and later fatum, meaning that which has been spoken. The Greeks believed in the idea of the fates as three weaving goddesses who controlled the course of living beings with strings. Their names were Clotho, the spinner, Lachesis, the allotter, and Anthropos, the inflexible. Each of the fates had a different task as suggested by their names. Clotho spun the thread of life, Lachesis measured the allotted length of each thread, and Atropos cut the thread off with her shears. Even the most mighty of the gods could not prevent what the fates foretold. The Romans believed in a goddess called Fortuna. She was the goddess of luck, fate and fortune, who was frequently worshipped in Italy. 
She was usually depicted holding a cornucopia in one hand, symbolizing good things in abundance, and a ship's rudder in the other hand, representing the way in which she steered the course of mortals' lives. With both objects in hand, she could bring happiness to a person's life, or just as easily, chaos and misfortune. Now on to our guest for today's show. David Callow obtained a BA in Caribbean Studies and Media Studies in 2008 and recently graduated with an MA in International Relations. He is the founder and editor of the online magazine Culture Pulse and he's written three books, the most recent of which called Jumbi in Town. And we'll be discussing this today, so stay tuned. David, when I started reading Jumbi in Town, I smiled as I remembered some of the stories my grandmother from St. Lucia told me. And I also realized that I didn't even know about the existence of so many characters that you have in your book. So can you tell us about Jumbi in Town and what prompted you to write it? The reason for writing Jumbi in Town is that I always wanted to write a book on folklore. And I recall when I was younger, I used to go from the stories that my mom told me. I wanted to go and find out if these things were true, because you always hear adults saying how they've seen a Sukunya, they've seen a Lagahu and stuff like that. But to say that somebody could actually describe what one looked like and how how they came to be to see a Sukunya or seeing a Lagahu or a Laja Bless or stuff like that very was very intriguing. And I wanted to find out if these things existed and I wanted to find out the origins about them. And that was prompted the book, Jumbi in Town. Well, that was very brave of you because I remember my grandmother, she didn't do it very often, but when she wanted us to do something, that was like a threat. She would just throw it to us that, you know, Laja Bless will come and all kinds of things. And so it, I was too scared to even think about, you know, whether I wanted to find out if it was real or not. So uh, I think you're very, very brave. <laughs> But how have, have these folklores transitioned over the years? Is there any similarity between stories from Trinidad and Tobago and the other Caribbean islands? Well, one of the peculiar things when I was researching to write this book was um, I started finding out if similar things existed in other Caribbean countries. And not a lot of the other Caribbean countries knew of things like Papa Bois and La Jablesse and Duens. Some of them, like, for instance, like Dominica and St. Lucia and Grenada, they knew of Sukunya, but not many of the other Jambis mentioned in the book. Well, I haven't heard. I, I know Jambi, I know Sukunya, I know Laja Bless. The other one you just mentioned, I didn't know that one. What did you say? Dwen? Well, uh, Dwen, yeah. Dwen, yes. What's Dwen? So a Dwen, it is what they say an unbaptized child, when an un unbaptized child dies, they remain in purgatory and they're faceless with their knees turned backwards. So their, their knees and their feet are facing backwards and they always wear a big hat to cover, you know, their, their face so that, you know, children won't see that they don't have a face. And they were mainly playful and frolicking characters that, you know, like to entice children near streams and riverside and stuff like that. Well, nothing like, oh, the spider that we know in folklore. Um, well, Nancy. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. No. <laughs> okay. But, you know, you mentioned children. How different is it when you tell those kind of folklore to children who live in the Caribbean and those who live in the UK? Because I came from St. Lucian parentage living in the UK and I didn't hear any of that until we went to live in St. Lucia. And that's when my grandmother and the elders would tell us stories. Are the stories more or less the same or you know, do you know, know whether there is a difference between telling those stories out of the Caribbean? To be honest, I think um, as people in the diaspora, when we come away from a country, we tend to leave a lot of things behind until it comes to time like myself to writing about it. I mean, I have never, um, never actually told my kids about things like Sukuya and Dwens and Laja Bless and all of that. Why? But that's a very good question. <laughs> Um, but in conversations, like if I would have a, if we were having a conversation at home, you know, my kids will ask a, ask a question of what what these things are. So, but to say like to tell them a story about a Dwen or a Lagahu and stuff like that, that never really um, materialized in our household here in the UK. But in in Trinidad, it's an intrinsic part, if, especially if you in you grew up in the countryside. These were intrinsic part of storytelling. You know, especially in the evening time, rain is falling. You know, the atmosphere is right for a story. But what was the main purpose, do you think, in those times? Yes, it was storytelling. But yeah. what was the main purpose? Why those stories? I think these stories were concocted, you know, to keep people on the straight and narrow. Just like we have laws, we have restrictions, we have rules. These were the rules of the day back then. Mm. Well, I'm I'm really intrigued and I would like my listeners to hear some from the book. So if you wouldn't mind reading us an excerpt, that would be great. I'm just going to read a little bit from, from the epilogue. My mother was full of superstitious. In the early days when I began jumbi hunting, she had taken me to an obia woman who lived on the other side of Arima. This woman gave me a bath in a concoction of some local bushes, including shining bush, black sage, sweet grass, wild carayli, vervine, and a cube of blue, something people use to rinse their clothes with when washing white clothing. The obia woman repeatedly whipped me with a broom made of kokie and sweet grass, chanting a prayer as she performed the exorcism. She broke an egg on my head and continued whipping me, pouring the bush mixture over my naked body as I stood in the metal bath pan. My mother parted with $15 and a flask of white rum. This seems to please both the Obia woman and my mother. Two days later, I was out again looking for Dwens. In <laughs> retrospect, the Obia woman must have done a good job on me to ward off evil spirits. Maybe this was the reason I failed to encounter any of the evil dwellers of Trinidad folklore. Some months later, I got my own back on the Obia woman. I stole one of her chickens along with a small bottle of white rum she had placed near one of the shrines in her yard. Two other Turons joined me. We cooked the chicken and drank the white rum with much relish. <laughs> you know, I could imagine that. <laughs> I could imagine that. But, you know, in writing those stories, did anything come to you that, you that totally made you either laugh or say, no way? Did anything surprise you at all? Oh, no, it was very comical writing about it um, to myself, you know, you know, looking back at the things that I did, 
you know, being wary of the punishment that I will receive from my mom after returning from these zombie hunts. And I was quite prepared to, to accept the punishment. <laughs> <laughs> and what has the reception been for um, Jumbi in town? Is it doing what you wanted it to do? And where can we find it? Jumbi in town is available on Amazon Books. It's doing okay, um, I must admit. It's been received well in Trinidad in terms of the media. But I think what is kind of hampering sales in Trinidad is that um, the, the postage because of COVID-19. Yes. Yeah, so I think that that's uh, one of the stumbling blocks at the moment. But things like this, I'm not worried about. You know, in the UK, it's selling okay. In America, it seems to be doing all right as well. And what uh, feedback or comments can you tell us about people who have, you know, read and reached out to you? What are they saying? I mean, I read one comment um, from an English person who doesn't know anything about um, Trinidad at all, except for what I told him. And he his comment, I don't have it in front of me, otherwise I would have read it out to you, but he expressed his feelings that, you know, by, from reading the book, it gave him an insight into my life and what life in Trinidad was like during that time and, you know, exposed him to some of the folklore that we have in Trinidad. And which is one of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to highlight the type of folklore that we have in Trinidad. It's the rich cultural myriad that we have in Trinidad. Now, my final question is, of course, about your metaphor. And I always laugh when I tell people, doesn't matter whether we were born in the UK there's something about the UK accent that when we try to speak in our own Caribbean language, it doesn't, well, for me, it just doesn't come out right. So yeah. our metaphor, how does it re reflect your life and your work? And the metaphor I say to my UK or my British accent, what a miss you a pass you. How do you say it? Well, we say it pretty much the same. What a miss you a pass you. Okay. So I didn't do too badly then. No, you didn't. You didn't do too badly at all. <laughs> Okay, so how does that reflected in your life? For me, my mommy always used that metaphor when licks was there to be shared, whether I did something wrong. Maybe she had to go out or she was late for work, and she would always say, what a mysterious pass you. So you can bet your life in the evening when she come home from work, you're going to get that cut ass. <laughs> Oh my gosh, well, uh, just talking to you has uh, put huge smiles on my face and uh, even just reading the pieces that I can because you can, um, and that's for our listeners, you can go on um, Amazon, can't you? Um, yes. And, and, you know, you see the book and you can, you know, read a little about it. So is it something that can be downloaded? Um, yes, it's available on Kindle as well. Because I remember before we spoke, I thought, no, this is really interesting. That's one of the reasons why I wanted you to be a guest, because I, I thought, this is really interesting. And even though I wasn't born in the Caribbean, I am of Caribbean parentage. And my parents, they didn't go into these stories more, you know, it was more or less my grandmother. And I didn't know my grandmother very long before she passed. But it, yeah. was, it was enough for me to get that kind of, it made me have a sense of, truly belonging to the yeah. Caribbean, you know? So your book brought that out for me and there's a gap that is filling for me. Let's, you know, not let COVID-19 stop us from, you know, enjoying what is there to be enjoyed. So if people can go onto Amazon and have a look for Jumbi in town, 
then they will have moments of pleasure. I can I can really say that. There'll be moments of smiling, uh, reminiscing, and filling in gaps that you didn't know, because I've, I've learned a lot just by the conversation with you. So, David, um, thank you so much for being a guest on Metaphorically Speaking, and we wish you all the best with Jumbie in town. Thank you very much, and it was a pleasure being on here. What brilliant stories from David. I know I, for one, cannot wait to read his book. Earlier in the show, we talked about David's chosen phrase, if it's meant for you, it won't pass you by, and some mythical figure surrounding fate. We're now going to talk about another author who was well known for using themes of fate in his work, often writing conflicts between destiny and free will. His name? William Shakespeare. From star-crossed lovers to ill-fated emperors, Shakespeare has weaved the theme of destiny through many of his works. In his works, where fate and prophecy are key plot points, we see many ways in which fate affects his characters. Two of the most famous examples being in Romeo and Juliet. And sorry in advance to any superstitious listeners, Macbeth. One of which involves characters who are destined for tragedy, yet are completely ignorant of it. The other, which involves characters who use a prophecy for their own personal gain and receive a tragic comeuppance as a result. Both stories are tragedies and all characters involved are ultimately powerless to fate's hand. In the story of Romeo and Juliet, there is a famous prologue at the very start of the play that is read by a chorus breaking the fourth wall and addressing the audience directly. In this prologue, it is revealed that the two young lovers are doomed to die and that their two families, who had been feuding for many years, will be united as a result. Here's a clip from the 1996 adaptation. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end naught could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage. The audience are the only ones aware of this prophecy and watch it unravel as the play goes on. The two titular characters are none the wiser and powerless to change their fate. During these times, it was believed that the gods watched the ongoings of mortals, much like a play, whilst the goddess Fortuna laid the paths of those below. So, in a sense, we are promoted to the position of deities for the purpose of this play as we watch Romeo and Juliet's sad ending come to be. Now on to the dreaded Macbeth. In this famous play, it is the knowledge of a prophecy that is the undoing of the main characters rather than ignorance of their future. 
In this story set in Scotland, our main character, Macbeth, general of the king's army, along with his friend and fellow captain, Banquo, are told by three witches three prophecies. Macbeth will be Thane, Macbeth will be king, and Banquo's sons will be kings. Macbeth, in line with the prophecy, is soon after granted the title of Thane as a reward for his battles. The king then proposes to make a visit to Macbeth's castle that night. Lady Macbeth, upon hearing about the prophecy, convinces Macbeth to murder the king whilst he sleeps. Macbeth is then crowned the new king. Thus begins Macbeth's descent into paranoia and madness as he kills more and more people to maintain his throne. My soul is too much charged with blood of thine already. He later seeks the witches for advice once more and is given a second prophecy that no one born of woman could kill him and that he won't be defeated till Burnhamwood moves. Macbeth makes the mistake of believing that he is untouchable, but his castle is eventually stormed by an army led by the former king's grieving son. Macbeth's blood runs cold when he is told that the forest is moving closer to the castle, a result of the soldiers using branches as camouflage. Then, when he is faced by a foe he learns was born of a caesarean section and therefore not of a woman, he accepts defeat the creator of his own demise. At first, so eager to bring about his own prophecy, but in the end, powerless to stop it from destroying him. I will not yield, yet I will try the last. Before my body, I throw my warlike shield. Lay on, Macduff, and damn be him that first cries, Hold, enough! This play, one could argue, is actually an example of how fate is not entirely out of our hands, but that we are free to act against it, with consequences of course. Unlike in Romeo and Juliet, where no characters are aware of their future, Macbeth does know his future, and his vicious ambition in pursuit of this future is what ruins him. So perhaps it's good that we don't know what the fates have in store for us. Fate has always been an area of curiosity. It's been written about by authors and poets and we have all asked ourselves whether our lives are purely our own creation or whether they were set in stone before we knew. Stepping away from tragedy, maybe it's not a bad idea to sit back a little and let fate take its course in our own lives. I think we all know what it's like to try and force something that we later realise is not meant to be. So take today's show as your sign to relax this week and what's meant to be won't pass you by. It just happened for me. And so often we, we, we go out there and we try to make things happen. I put a lot of energy into trying to make life happen the way I think it's supposed to. But in reality, life happens for us. If we just allow it to happen, it doesn't mean that we don't have to put forth effort to, to do the things that matter to us. But if we look, step back and look, the opportunities, the experiences, what we need, what, what's meant for us, comes to us. What's meant for you will come to you. 
there's no need to push and worry. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you, David Callow, for sharing with us some wonderful stories in today's episode and for giving me wonderful memories of my grandmother who lived in St. Lucia. I didn't know her for many years and uh, she couldn't speak very much English, but I felt her love and those stories brought back those memories. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at Colourful, go to shows and then Delia or email us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. We'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. I say this every week. I'll say it again. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. And people say that to us all the time, that they're enjoying the show, they're learning so many different things but they don't subscribe so please subscribe send us your comments and your feedback join us for another metaphor next week i'm delia delore keep safe goodbye Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Manuel Maria Pimenta and Sabina Lauchopra Garcia. Script supervisor, Sabina Lauchopra Garcia. Production assistance and social media graphics by Ojua Osemwenke. The final programme was edited by Erica Izzy and social media videos by Ernie Deneve.